The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, our show today is about conflict resolution in the workplace. And I have this wonderful book in front of me called When at Work. The Everybody Wins Approach to Conflict Resolution by Diane L. Katz, Ph.D. And we're so thrilled to have Diane with us all the way from the East Coast. And let me tell you a little bit about her and about her book. Diane has worked with organizations and professionals for over 40 years. And she has a master's degree in organizational psychology from beautiful Columbia University and a Ph.D. in conflict resolution resolution from Union Institute. And she has applied her education to all sorts of organizations, large and small. And she's spoken to groups across the country, Europe, Mexico, Canada. And she has started, she's done many other things. She worked in business uh, career with American Express, Chase and KPMG. But now, and since she, since 1995, she actually started her own consulting company called The Working Circle. And The Working Circle provides organizational development, human resources, team building, training, and coaching to organizations of all sizes. And some of her company clients are PricewaterhouseCooper, the University of Arizona, Raytheon Missile Systems, and many, many more. And I, am, I was especially attracted to want to speak with her because I had gotten her book, When at Work, and it's really wonderful. And all of us experience work, you know, conflict everywhere in our lives. I mean, that's normal, even if we are peacemakers and conflict resolvers, it's normal to experience differences of perspectives. But it is especially uncomfortable and work in organizations where you have to go there every single day. It's not like you can get a divorce. I mean, yes, you can leave your job, but right nowadays people aren't going to leave their job when they have to have food on the table. So what's better to do is to learn how to make winning at work, which is the name of the book, Win at Work, possible by learning a positive ways to resolve conflict. So that's why I've invited Diane in the show. Thank you so much, Diane, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So, you know, we talk about constructive and destructive conflict, and you talk about that in your book. Why I don't do. you explain the difference between the two? Well, if we're talking about, particularly at work, 
um, constructive conflict is when you and I have a difference of opinion or a need the same resources and we're kind of in conflict over it. Even though we're in conflict, we maintain the goals of the organization and we still remember that we have the same name on our paycheck and we still work towards the goals of the organization. Destructive conflict is when my agenda becomes more important or your agenda becomes more important than the goals of the organization and we start working to win over the other person, forgetting that we work for the same organization and that's when you have internal competition that is destructive to the overall success of the organization. And, you know, isn't it true that a lot of companies look at people to hire that are very competitive and and those people are very competitive and they think that they're going to be great managers, but sometimes those very competitive people don't always turn out to be the best managers, right? That's very true. Um, A lot depends on the culture of the organization. Um, because if, if you look at where where do we have the most competition when you think of it most readily, and that's in sports, there are athletes, um, um, professional athletes, who are extremely competitive and yet are seen as team players. So a lot of times in organizations, managers who are highly competitive are not are not very cooperative or collaborative because of a number of reasons. The organization isn't supporting it. The compensation is all for one and, and not all for all. Um, the way that certain managers manage, um, they, they push towards uh, destructive conflict. So there's lots of reasons, but certainly one needs to be competitive, and competition is, in a way, a form of conflict. Exactly. So what impact do leaders have on conflict in, ha- in how it's handled? When we're talking about real well, leaders. Well... <clears throat> Um, a, a good leader. If of, yeah. If you think of people um, that, that you know, your listeners, uh, who, who we've worked for in our lives, there are certain people you work for who you want to give 110%, and, and they, they help you to be your best, and yet they help you to cooperate with other people on the team. Sometimes leaders don't do that, and most often, at least in my experience, when leaders kind of um, manage towards destructive conflict, they're not doing it consciously. It may be that uh, someone, uh, they they favor one team over another, and they're very uh, outward about it. Um, It could be that they're setting up a competition in terms of succession planning, and it's um, you know, they don't they don't reinforce being honest, sharing information because information is really the bloodline of an organization. If you don't have information, you can't succeed. And a lot of leaders, and you could even think of presidents we've had or elected officials who share more information, and then there are those who share less information. And the less information that a leader shares and 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 supports the sharing of information the more coveted the information is going to be, and then, and then that's going to instill conflict. So there's, and then, of course, there's the, leader, there's the leader who very consciously sets up competition because they want to see who will survive. Um, and survive is a very specifically chosen word there. 
Um, <clears throat> it's really about, you know, I want to see who's going to rise to the surface, and so, you know, we're just going to throw them in the throw them in the bullring and see who comes out alive. And that, sometimes that's the case. And, you know, I, right now it's funny because I, this is, is close to my heart because I sit on uh, several volunteer boards and I mm-hmm. see the different styles of the people who get people to want to do stuff and those who get people to not want to do stuff. <laughs> and, and yes, you know, since you're not true. getting paid, you know, I mean, it's just, um, it's interesting to me. Um, one committee that I've been on, there has been a wonderful leader. Everybody loved him. He was wonderful. Everybody wanted to do things for him. It was just great. And then the new leader came in like a dictator and, you know, everybody's going, wait a minute, we're all volunteers here, (laughs) you know? So, and, and, and everybody, and that created conflict because there was this lack of, of, um, respect, lack of, enthusiasm lack of encouragement just Mm -hmm. um just interesting the difference you know if you have to work for somebody because you have to work for somebody to get that paycheck it's one thing but you know there's a big difference with volunteers do you see that yourself oh my gosh yes i'm i'm on i'm on a couple of boards i've been on a, a board for years and years and years and being a leader on a on a on a volunteer board, it is really like trying to hug a cloud. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's, it, it's not going to happen. And, and so it's really about, and that's, I think, one of the primary leadership skills is, is about, is about influencing people rather than dictating to people. And, and, and how, how can you kind of resonate with the group think and where the group needs to go? You know, the most frequent reason that people leave jobs, and even in today's economy, the most frequent reason is the way they're treated. Not the money, it's not even necessarily the job content, it's about how they're treated. And research has shown that the most important winning characteristic of of any leader is compassion. Mm -hmm. Because if I know I work for somebody who cares about me as a human being, I I I am so motivated. And so that all goes together with, with the amount of constructive or destructive conflict that occurs in an organization. Right, because if you know, for example, that that leader, um, you know, maybe they want to do something that you don't want to do, but if you know that they care about you and you know that they care about the whole group as a whole, that's going mm-hmm. to engender that constructive type of conflict that you were talking about. But if they are not nice to each other and they undermine each other and they backstab each other, then that's going to be that destructive conflict that you're talking about. Absolutely. And it is a direct reflection of the person who is in charge. Yes. And, 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 um, it's really, um, when I go around and I'll I'll speak at conferences or I work with clients and I'll, I'll be talking about this, you and I are talking about, and 99 times out of 100, nobody's going to say, well, I'm really not such a good leader or, I, you know, I, people don't really either want to acknowledge it or, or don't really see it, can't acknowledge it. And so they work around saying, what's wrong with my team? What's wrong with <laughs> entrepreneurs say, what's wrong with my company? 
And when I go to talk to them, I will tell them, you are part of the problem and you're part of the solution. So you have to change as much as they do. And how do you get them to change? Well, a hammer is a very effective tool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, especially really if they, about, you know, it, 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 I was going to say, ahead. especially if they have, you know, the, the I'm thinking of the disc, the dominant, the influencer, the study, and the compliant, yeah. especially yeah. if they have that dominant approach to life, right? Yes. It's going to be yes. even harder for them. Well, what, yes, that's true. And the more ingrained one's personality is, the more difficult it is. However, what I have found success with is if we can make a direct relationship between behavior and your profit margin, that will get their attention. And so if I will say to an entrepreneur or a, or a leader, when you do this, let's follow the thread and what happens and how it comes out and then how it ends up costing the company money. They start to, the light bulb starts to go on over their head. Yep. So you talk in your book about the working circle. Why don't we explain a little bit about it to kind of whet the appetite for those people who might be interested in this book? Okay. Um, when I got my doctorate, I designed a process for resolving conflict without confrontation. And most, one of the classic books in conflict resolution is Getting T.S. by Fisher and Urey. Mm -hmm. And it's a wonderful book and it's a wonderful process. However, excuse me, it's a linear process. You sit on one side of the table, I sit on the other, and we come to a best agreement based on the alternatives we have. And, And it has a beginning and an end. And what, what occurred to me was we need the masculine linear part, but we also need the feminine part. We need the aggressive linear thinking, but we also need the softer, more compliant, more compassionate piece. We need a balance between the two. And so I designed a process that kind of combined ancient and modern, eastern and western ways of thinking in addition to traditional conflict resolutions. And the working circle is a series of eight questions that people ask together. And so you, you ask questions like, basically, what's the situation? And that is the first question because we want to know what's going on. And it's not about opinion. It is no longer about who's right or wrong. It's just about the facts, what's been going on. Right, yeah. And then they ask the rest of the questions. They look at what's negotiable, what's non-negotiable. They talk about what has happened in the past and what learning is brought to to the current situation, and that's something that most Western organizations never do. I mean, again, if you look at our government, we we go to blame rather than what have we learned. And if we went to what have we learned, we would come up with richer solutions for the present. So we go through what have we learned from the past, and then we get to the linear part where it is, okay, what are we going to do? And after the, the disputants have come up with what are we going to do, Then they look at, if we do this, how will this change the relationship? How will this change me? How will it change you? And is that okay? So it's not just looking at, what do I want? What do you want? What works in the situation? And what impact will our decision have? Because, again, it's not just about the present. It's also about the impact on the future. And in the 15 years I've been using this process, and I've used it, with from cowboys to nuns, <laughs> when when people sit down, 
there is always a resolution 100% of the time because it's non-confrontational. It is no longer about who's right or wrong. It's problem-solving. Yes, collaborative problem-solving. Exactly. So how does this work for, for parents? You know, that, that looks like a great idea for parents who are, you know, trying to get their kids to cooperate, at least when they're old enough to, to right. really discuss these issues. How well, does that work? Uh, I'll give you a story. Um, I have um, one of my grandchildren is 11 years old, and I taught him this process two years ago when he was being bullied. Yep. And I said, this isn't going to be something you're going to do with the bully. You're going to do it inside your head. And you're going to figure out what's going to be best for you. And we talked and we talked and we talked. And then this year when he came to visit, so that now it's a year past and he's doing way better, um, he said, you know, you ought to write a book for kids because that really helps me. So this is, you know, I've taught it to, on a volunteer basis to kids in school, taught it to teachers. Um, it really, if you have a format, if you have a process that is easily understood, I think that parents could use this because a lot of times with parents, we, we teach kids what decisions to make. We don't teach kids how to make decisions. Exactly. So we, say, we say to kids, don't talk to strangers. Well, if they took us literally, they would never talk to a new person in their life. Right, right. Instead, we need to be able to say, here's tools. Let's figure out how to figure out who's okay, who's not okay, who you can let in, who you can let in a little. That would be way more helpful than don't do this and don't do that. Right. It, it reminds me, I did a, a radio show with five teenagers talking about Facebook and about their friends. And I asked this one kid who was, I think, about 14 or 15, I said, so what did you learn about protecting yourself, you know, on the Internet? And he said, mm-hmm. oh, I learned not to talk to strangers. And I said, so how many friends do you have? And he said, <laughs> I have like 600 friends. I said, oh, really? And I said, so how many of those do you know face to face? And so that's exactly what it was right. Well, I don't have strangers. I don't talk to strangers. These are my friends. So you're right. exactly right. right. Like, how do you right. discern what is someone that you can befriend on, you know, on, yeah. on the social networking site. So it's so true because otherwise he thought he was talking only to friends. He didn't have any strangers. <laughs> Good point. Good point. So yeah. you're right. I mean, yeah. we do have to think about not what to do because then you, you make black. It's not black and white. It's teaching mm-hmm. the kind of skills of discernment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the working circle really helps them to, Resolve issues because I have a few a few teenagers who use it without even saying they're using it, but they'll ask the question. You know, all right. So what's negotiable for you? What's not negotiable? And they'll use it without saying, "Let's sit down and use this process." So right. it helps them in terms of communication, having having language to use, and 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 really gaining an appreciation for the fact that other people have different perspectives. Right. And and respecting that, and I think about Congress and <laughs> and all the craziness that goes on with you know the partisanship in Congress is is mm-hmm. you know and and international relations like what about Congress? What, are they using any processes like this? Have you been able to instill in them any kind of processes like this? Well, I've had a few elected officials as clients, 
and um, and those people I greatly respect, and they are using similar process. Actually, one is using my process, um, but but what happens between what's actually occurring and what we end up hearing about in our homes, it becomes distorted. And and we have become a country of extreme blame. And so if something happens, whose fault is it? Rather than how do we fix it and what did we learn? And so I would love to see, for example, I thought of this yesterday, and it doesn't matter what party you belong to or who you agree with. Let's say... You're a Democrat, I'm a Republican, and and we're both running. And you might say something, and I might say, you know, you got a point there. And you might say to me, you know, you got a point there. That would be amazing that people could acknowledge and then say, well, on the other hand, I don't agree with this, rather than the name-calling and the device. Right, I'm sticking to the issues. We've forgotten about that. Right, and sticking to the issues and really focusing on and not even having to say, you know, I disagree. It's just saying, I see it differently. This is why I see it differently. So that someone can understand from a, from a deeper level instead of rejection or, like you said, blame. Yeah. I mean, even in divorces, you know, I do a lot of conflict resolution as a mediator, whether it's business disputes or divorce or whatever. Uh, it always seems to be about blame. Why? And they, you know, to help them to really come to resolution, they have to leave the blame beside them, you know, beside the door. Right. And walk in and say, okay, this is a situation. Now, what can we do about it to make it better so we can move on with our lives? And in addition to that, because I absolutely, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on what you said. What I practice is called transformational conflict resolution. Right. So it's not just about resolving the issues. It's about learning new behaviors so we don't keep repeating ourselves. Exactly. And we keep repeating ourselves. And, and it's, it's, you it know, will I be, told, yeah, it'll be the next spouse or the next partner mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Or, or the next person because, you know, it's like they say, if you keep doing what you've been doing, uh, you're going to get the same result, right? I. I agree. And last week I spoke at a at a conference, and I told I told the people at the conference I said that in the last in the previous five days I had heard at least six different people call some politician an idiot or a moron. <laughs> and and I said, you know, if you hear that, if we all agreed in this room, and there are a few hundred people, if we all agreed that if someone on TV, on the radio, in front of our faces, call somebody else a moron or an idiot or some name like that, and we shut the TV off or we, or we no longer participated in the conversation, things would start to change. Yes. We are speaking with Diane L. Katz, Ph.D., who is the author of this really wonderful book called Win at Work. I have it right in front of me. The subtitle is Every, where the everybody wins approach to conflict resolution. And, you know, even the word win sometimes is a, a misnomer because what really we're trying to do is we're trying to get a mutual gain where I can walk away with my dignity and respect and so can you. 
And, Absolutely. and that's really, you know, really that's important. The win. That's the win. Exactly. That's exactly. The win. Yeah. So what about what can managers do to have only constructive conflict on their teams? What you know, there's a lot of business people driving by and there's a lot of students that are going into business. So what is really like really an important thing, if, if only one thing that they could do to have constructive conflict on their teams? Well, here's, here's one of the things I have observed most often. So Joe's a manager, and Jane goes into him and says, Joe, I can't work with Bill anymore. He's impossible. And she goes, she starts to complain. And Joe usually says, well, sit down, tell me about it, what we could do. And, and I think what would make a world of difference if Joe said, I hear your frustration, let's bring Bill in so the three of us could talk. Yep. And, and sometimes that they're afraid make, of that, right? They're afraid of that. They, they want to, they want sometimes the boss is a little gossipy and wants to hear what's going on. Um, but because if I'm Jane and I'm listening to the, you know, and the boss says, tell me more about it, there's an unconscious belief that he, I'm already, he's getting him on my side. Yes. Yes. And, and so I think, and this I know when I've told clients to do this and they do this, there is an enormous impact in the workforce. And it's not so hard to do. Someone comes in to complain about someone else and say, you say, did you talk to them? Oh, no, I can't talk to them or whatever. Okay, so let's bring them in and let's, oh, no, 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 we don't have to do that. No, no. Yeah, it's or that fear. Okay. Right. Yes, but, I, but I think that's one small yet profound thing that managers could do that would make a tremendous difference. Well, we are just about out of time, so that was a perfect way to end. Thank you so much, Diane Katz, the author of Win at Work, the Everybody Wins Approach to Conflict Resolution. Why don't you just give your website, and then we got to go. Thanks a lot, Mary. It's really nice to be here, and the website is theworkingcircle.com. Thanks a lot. It's terrific. Thank you. All right, you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. And also visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can see our upcoming guests, you can listen to archived interviews, and you can find out more about ways that you can have a more peaceful life at work and at home. Thank you. It's about trust. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.